Hi, welcome to On Jordan, a podcast on the latest developments in Jordanian politics with interviews of experts from across the Hashemite kingdom. My name is Aaron Maggot, a former Oman-based journalist now in Washington. Jordanian reporters have no shortage of important subjects to cover, including unemployment approaching 25%, an alleged sedition plot involving Prince Hamza in April, and Amman's security cooperation with countries from across the region. Yet many Jordanian media outlets avoid reporting on such sensitive issues and instead highlight official government press releases of King Abdullah's meetings. The Paris-based Reporters Without Borders group downgraded Jordan to 129th out of 180 nations worldwide for press freedoms. But how do Jordanian journalists view their country's media environment? And why have government-issued gag orders become increasingly prevalent? It is a pleasure to introduce Rana Suez to the podcast. Rana has been a longtime Amman-based contributor to the New York Times. She is the author of the book Voices of Jordan and founder of Wishbox Media. Thank you for joining us, Rana. Thank you for having me, Erin. So how are the current conditions for journalists in Jordan? Well, I think uh, a big turning point was uh, Corona and the defense laws that were uh, imposed uh, during the coronavirus until today. Uh, they kind of made the landscape uh, of, of, for journalists much more difficult. I would say it's close a bit to uh, martial law. Uh, it was difficult for journalists to get, uh, you know, access uh, during the complete lockdown that we had. And uh, the defense law also, uh, you know, bypasses other laws uh, that uh, protect journalists. So it's been a, a very difficult time. We've seen uh, certainly a crackdown uh, on uh, freedom of expression, not only for journalists, but also for social media users and others under different kinds of laws. Uh, that's not to say that before the coronavirus, uh, the, there was a high level of self-censorship. We had the cyber crime law uh, also that impeded um, a lot of freedom of expression, and continuous crackdown on, on journalists as well. And we saw also the past 10 years, the demise in the business model for certainly for print media, but others as well. So uh, it, it hasn't been a, a good 10 to 15 years for the state of journalism in Jordan. We've seen a crackdown introduction of laws uh, and that that impede their work. We've seen also some have been detained, imprisoned. People have uh, lost uh, trust in uh, the local media as well. Uh, we see that Jordanians, uh, especially this past year, have gone to the Western media to find out what's going on in their country. So you mentioned the self-censorship issue. A survey by the Amman-based Center for Defending Freedom of Journalists said that over 90% of Jordanians practice self-censorship. Why is self-censorship so common in the Hashemite Kingdom? So we have different kinds of, let's say, taboos and um, fears in Jordan uh, among journalists. One is, uh, obviously, as I mentioned, uh, the laws. Uh, certainly the cyber crime law that was introduced, I believe, in 2012 or 2013. But also there's uh, social taboos as well. Uh, you know, Jordan is an extremely conservative society. 
there are topics that they will not cover. We have seen a backlash uh, when, it ha when it comes to coverage of politics or religion uh, or relationships, etc. So there are definitely taboo, so societal taboos as well uh, that cause this self-censorship among journalists, not only by the government. And why has there been an increase in government-issued gag orders that we've seen? Yeah, we've, we've definitely seen a, a rise in gag orders. Uh, for me personally, I've also seen a deterioration in the freedom to access information as well. Whenever we see a story uh, that is trending and gets a lot of attention, whether it's criminal or otherwise, uh, we see a gag order uh, imposed. Now, uh, it was really interesting in April 2021 uh, when there was a so-called sedition, there was a so-called attempt by uh, the half-brother of the king uh, to take over. Uh, we saw that, first of all, the local media was not covering it. Secondly, Jordanians were going uh, to uh, international media to learn about what was happening. And thirdly, uh, a gag order was imposed. Not only was there self-censorship, but there was a gag order imposed that they had to retract partially because of the pressure from the international community. Uh, the international press was all here and they were covering the story and certainly uh, the gag order was not followed by the international media who ended up actually writing about the gag order itself and we saw that next day the gag order was retracted you know every time uh, there's a court case or a case in general uh, that becomes trending whether on social media or in society uh, a gag order is imposed. Obviously, this is another way to hinder the work of journalists, but also, unfortunately, uh, there is a lack of transparency as well. So if I'm a Jordanian citizen who doesn't live in Amman, um, I'm, maybe I don't speak English fluently, and I can't access the New York Times or the Washington Post coverage on Jordan about some of these sensitive issues, then where am I getting my news? You're getting your news from Facebook, um, and this is according to research we did on news consumption in Jordan uh, or social media, other social media platforms. That's where they're going to get their news. So you're saying the Jordanian citizens view of the kind of the larger newspapers, the establishment media like Ara'i, Al-Dustur, Al-Ghad, that's very poor right now? Print is that. And what about the main TV stations? Uh, we have currently, we have Al-Mamlaka, uh, Ru'ya TV, which is uh, a more independent TV. But mind you, uh, they are still constrained by these laws that we mentioned. We uh, know that uh, during the coronavirus uh, lockdown, uh, the head of the station and a presenter were imprisoned for coverage of people talking in the street, their opinion about the situation in Jordan with the lockdown. Uh, and they also did not cover uh, the April sedition case as well. 
so obviously they are constrained as well. Uh, but it is the first uh, uh, independent TV station uh, and they are really using uh, social media platforms and digitization to make their mark uh, in Jordan as well. We've seen Al Mamlaka is uh, basically a state, a state channel and Jordan TV, uh, also a state channel, has uh, taken a backseat. And so these are the three channels we have. Uh, they are also weak. Uh, the credibility is weak, but uh, we have these evening shows, evening talk shows uh, that are quite good. So do you think it would be helpful for the United States to pressure either quietly or publicly the Jordanian government to improve press freedoms? I think everyone has a responsibility inside Jordan and outside Jordan uh, to see a more vibrant press. Uh, you know, the, the way that we are uh, operating right now uh, is detrimental not only to Jordanians' right to information uh, and knowledge uh, and quality of information as well, but it's detrimental to the government as well, where there continues to be a lack of trust in the statements they make. Uh, and uh, people become more susceptible to misinformation and rumors as long as there's not a strong independent press. Now, what are the dynamics for female journalists in Jordan? I found that some females were complaining during the lockdown, during the coronavirus, that more males were given permission to uh, to go to their workplace, etc., during lockdown and uh, some female journalists were, were not given the permission. I do see uh, a lot of uh, female journalists as well uh, doing uh, great work, but they are constrained as well. Uh, they had to also cope, uh, like uh, many women across the world, uh, with uh, the coronavirus uh, and not being able to go to the workplace and having to deal with uh, their families and uh, taking really the burden of uh, the house uh, chores and still uh, having to deliver uh, stories and it was really a difficult time for for everyone including women i think there's uh, you know generally uh, pros and cons to being a female journalist in uh, places like jordan i think the pros being that uh, as a woman uh, I, I have more access to people in terms of when we go interview in the field, there's more trust uh, as women are seen as less threatening and you have more access to, uh, instead of one family member to the entire household being a female. I think being a male, there's a tendency more to, to mistrust um, and uh, However, I think the constraints would be more social. So uh, going to different governorates in Jordan, this all depends on how much freedom the, the woman has from the family and society itself. Uh, women journalists like women in Jordan in general, they face many uh, obstacles, including very low female participation rate in the, la in the labor force. Uh, 
they face uh, social constraints, uh, societal constraints, family constraints. Uh, and then you have the, uh, the laws uh, that constrain them as well. So, uh, you know, it, it's, um, it's not something separate from the rest of professions in Jordan and society. Are there any areas of optimism right now in the Jordanian media scene? The optimism uh, is that, uh, you know, Jordanians are really uh, news savvy. They are tech savvy as well. Uh, they find that uh, they are going to social media to express themselves to a certain extent. And I think the future is definitely digital. I think uh, those uh, journalists who can come up with good quality Arabic media content, this is where the future is. And there is a void and an opportunity at the same time to create content. Is there anything else about the Jordanian media scene that you haven't mentioned you think is noteworthy or important? Uh, you know, we are uh, talking today in Jordan about uh, building a more modern political system and reforms uh, in election laws, uh, in women participation in parliament, youth participation in parliament. But we do not hear about freedom of expression. We do not hear about human rights. Uh, I really hope that uh, there's more discussion on these two topics because they are not separate from political, social, and economic reform. Well, thank you very much, Rana. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, Aaron. It was a pleasure. That was Jordanian journalist Rana Swayze. Here's what else you should know this week. On Monday, Jordan and Israel signed a climate declaration of intent in Dubai, joined by U.S. Special Envoy John Kerry. The deal would see Israel transfer to Jordan 200 million cubic meters of desalinated water in exchange for Amman building a solar power plant in the kingdom with the help of a UAE firm to generate electricity for Israel. According to the UN, Jordan is the second most water-scarce country worldwide. The preliminary agreement comes shortly after King Abdullah met this month with Mansour Abbas, an influential Islamist lawmaker in Israel's governing coalition. Before I go, please subscribe or follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google to make sure you're notified of new episodes. And feel free to listen to previous week's episodes on Jordanian citizens' view of the kingdom's foreign policy with former minister Faraz Barazat and the Syrian refugee crisis with UNHCR spokeswoman in Amman, Lily Carlisle. I welcome any suggestions about future guests to host on the podcast or topics worth covering. Please reach out to me on Twitter at Aaron Magid or via email aaron.magid1 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.